Alright. Hey. Hey, ladies and gents. Welcome you welcoming you back to the show. On a Wednesday night in December. Although, if you were taking a walk down the block tonight, you might have to uh, turn your collar, pop your collar, just because it's a little bit cool, a little bit damp. It's been foggy all day, kind of misty. And since there are still some leaves on the trees, it, it feels a lot more like the week leading up to October than it does a couple of weeks away from Christmas. So I'm struggling to get into the mood, I gotta tell you, although I'm always in the mood when I'm in my living room because it's just perfectly put together. Lauren put it together so nicely. So um, so yeah, maybe, maybe we'll get a little bit of a, a nip in the air soon. I know all the, uh, all the people in DLive like that, I said nip. But welcome to the show. It is the 7th of December. Pearl Harbor Day. A lot to be said about Pearl Harbor Day. But 6.55 p.m. or 6.58, wherever you are. And uh, and here we are. We're going to be having a good time. You know, I have a nice second half guest tonight. I'm going to start doing a lot more second half guests because in the new year, we are going to be splitting our time, uh, especially on YouTube. The first hour will always be on everything and then the second hour we're dropping youtube just so that we can do different things play different kinds of music and and just you know continue to get ourselves away from uh from the old systems and throw ourselves completely into the new and be a part of that full time but um tonight in the second half we've got scott shara coming back on scott is the father of grace we were speaking with them back in may um, we were speaking with them back in May about that, just the, the terrible, terrible uh, time that they had in their, their daughter's last week or so of life um, at the hands of hospital protocols and COVID and all of that. And um, tonight he's coming back because, uh, you know, we keep in touch. And he said that he had a story to tell about his first hospital rescue. And he does a lot of this now. He helps people prepare themselves for any kind of time they have to spend inside the hospital, whether it be unexpected or something that they can they could plan for a little ahead of time. If they have to go in for a procedure, it's unavoidable. Um, so not only prep, preparing people for hospital stays, but hospital rescues. I don't know what this story is. I said, don't say anything. I want to hear it on air. So we're going to do that in the second half. And it's going to be a part of a larger talk that we have tonight about bioethics, which I, um, the more you read about it, the more people present themselves as ethicists, uh, bioethicists and all of that. It's pretty much like the way that 99.9% of constitutional attorneys outside of the Chris Ann Halls of the world present themselves. I'm a constitutional attorney, which means I went to school to learn how to torture every syllable of the Constitution to make it mean the opposite of what it means and allows me to do whatever the hell I want with uh, ill-gotten money from the public, the American public, with no nothing impeding, impeding me. Nothing. Nothing standing in my way. So, 
that's what we're going to be talking about tonight. And I found in a, um, I think a Substack that goes back to an article we talked about in 2020 at some point. It had, uh, I think it was called the the episode was called the morality vaccine or something like that, and it was about uh, it. It was based on an ethicist's thought of how we can get individuals who are a little bit too non-compliant to be more compliant and are there covert ways that we can get all of that you know that that stubborn individuality out of them and more easily get them into the swing of what they want a nice well-adjusted herd of cattle like people to be doing especially in a time where they're trying to obviously alter human behavior on such a large scale. So we're going to be talking about that a little bit tonight, but we have a couple other things to do first, including a little bit of a revisit of the the things that are going on at Twitter, because um, that James Baker story that we were talking about last night, him being fired is not nearly the, the, the most of it. And I just want to remind you guys who James Baker is, because we just glossed over it last night. And, uh, and and just read a little something from Matt Taibbi. Taibbi? Taibbi. I've been practicing his last name because everybody's very defensive about it. People have been, been mispronouncing my name my entire life. Nobody gave two shits. Everybody's so defensive of this, this guy. But okay. Well, <clears throat> we're going to do a little of that. And I want to thank uh, I want to thank all my sponsors uh, and friends on the affiliates page on QuiteFrankly.tv. It is December seventh, ladies and gentlemen. December seventh. There's plenty, plenty of time. I did some holiday shopping myself. Some Christmas shopping today myself. Not only do we have Quite Frankly merchandise where you can buy your fellow Frankly some shirts because we don't sell pants. That would be ridiculous. Or do we? If we sell pants, that would be stupid. Wouldn't it? It would go against everything that we believe in. Wearing pants. I'm not wearing pants right now. But um, Blue Monster Prep, Secret Nature CBD, Apex Water. Buy people in your life some some sessions with Rob. KungFuChannel.com. Buy people sessions with Rob. Go out and, and give them the gift of, of uh, energetic and, and physical health as well. But we've got Dr. Gottwoods, good friends of the show. They made beautiful rustic wood creations for our stovetop at home. So nice. I, all of their information to there. Lefties hand-rolled cigars. People have been buying the, quite frankly, the newly minted, quite frankly, Jester cigars. Go and get that for the cigar lover in your life. They're very smooth. Nordic Coffee. Get the, quite frankly, Daily Roast. Flip City Magazine, get a reader in your life who has it has long since had anything enjoyable to flip through a magazine. People who used to like the old Mad Magazine. This is doing magazines and non-PC, um, non-PC comedy in print form right again. Yes, Cacao, Botanical Chocolates, Wise Wolf Gold and Silver. You get people physical gold and silver. Great stuff. Great stuff. There's so much there, so that's all I got to say. Go to the affiliates page and and give them all a look. You have plenty of time to get your packages at your house. There you go. All right. 
into the grab bag. Is there anything else I have to d announce? No? No? Like I, I told you guys about Black Conservative Patriot coming on Monday, so now we have a pretty full week next week. And fine by me. Fine by me. All right, first one up. Did you hear that there were two attempted coups? Two attempted coup d'etats in the last, I don't know, 24, 48 hours. Uh, we had Peru, Marxist President Pedro Castillo, stages a state coup, dissolves Congress hours before impeachment vote. I think they're going to remove him and, and, and uh, arrest him now. They're going to vote for impeachment. He said, oh, Congress, uh, you're dissolved. There's no more Congress. Castillo, uh, the, uh, I'm telling you right now in Peru, they're polishing off all those old helicopters. Um, <laughs> if you know what I mean, <laughs> at least they should. Castillo moved elections to nine months out and will establish an emergency government, he said. The democratically elected communist president of Peru, Pedro Castillo, just dissolved the National Congress staging a coup d'etat to stay in power illegally. The lesson, never ever allow a communist or a fascist to gain power legitimately because they will never give it up. That is from, from Ferdinand Amandi reporting on that. On Wednesday morning, he ordered temporary closure of Congress and called for parliamentary elections. Said elections will be held in a period no longer than nine months. The head of state indicated that this decision was made in response to citizen claims nationwide, with the aim of restoring the rule of law and democracy. Well, well, well. well what are you going to do, right? But the second one, apparently, was in Germany. Germany. What was going on there? This is from Reuters, so you know it's good. Germany foils a far-right plot to install Prince Heinrich VIII, uh, the 13th, in a coup. What is this? Some 3,000 security personnel involved in raids. Um, Germany on Wednesday detained 25 members and supporters of far-right group that the prosecutor's office said was preparing a violent overthrow of the state to install as national leader a prince who had sought backing from Russia. Prosecutors said the group was inspired by the deep state conspiracy theories of Germany's Reich, Reichsbürger and QAnon, of course. You can't... You can't... <laughs> QAnon... <laughs> It sounds like it's, it's pretty much like Santa Claus at this point. Whose advocates were among those arrested after the storming of the U.S. Capitol in January 2021. I can't wait until we get to finally meet QAnon one day. It's going to be so great. You know what it's going to be like? It's going to be like Quato from Total Recall. There's going to be some guy that turns around and he opens up his, he opens up his shirt and he just, you just see him writhing. Like something's happening that he turns around. There's just like this little, this little, this little man that's coming out of his stomach. Quaid. I can't wait to meet this QAnon one day. Fucking idiots. Members of the Reichsburger, citizens of the Reich, do not recognize modern-day Germany as a legitimate state. Some of them are devoted to German Empire under monarchy, while some are adherents of Nazi ideas, and other believe, others believe Germany is under military occupation. What, you mean like the, the 30,000 American troops just, that just hang around jerking off in Berlin all day? No. 
There's no occupation there. The plot envisaged uh, a former member of a German royal family identified as Heinrich XIII, PR, under Germany's privacy law as a leader in the future state with another, uh, while another suspect, Rudiger, VP, would be the head of the German uh, of the military arm with aim of building a new German army. So that was foiled. So we had two attempted coups. What, what's you know these things like everything else comes in threes. What's going to be the third? I don't know. But Alexandria Ocasio Cortez with her stupid little nose. I know, Frank. Stop. Don't talk about people's noses, Frank. Look at yours. I don't care. That's why I can say things. Whatever the hell I want, I can say whatever I want. Okay? She's a stupid little... She has a stupid nose. Her nose is stupid. Frank, you sound petty. I don't care. I don't care. I do this show to get the pettiness out of me. Do you understand? House Ethics Committee investigating Representative Alexandria's stupid nose court. <laughs> Cortez, according to a Wednesday press release. What is it about? Uh, the acting chairwoman and acting ranking member of the Committee on Ethics have jointly decided to extend the matter regarding Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, which was transmitted to the Committee by Office of Congressional Ethics on June 23rd. It's unclear what she's being investigated for, though the Daily Caller notes that shortly after she took office, conservative groups filed complaints alleging that AOC had misused congressional resources and resources, and that she comes under fire for her involvement with the Justice Democrats Super PAC. Well, that, that was Justice Democrats. That was the, the organization that pretty much created her, like they did all the, the auditions and stuff like that. Um, But uh, I don't know. I mean, they, they had a, they, it sounded like they had a lot better, stronger and more blatant ethics case with the other one, the other one uh, the, with the brother from Minnesota, the other one. What's her name? The refugee. I forget what the hell who cares? Who cares? I don't know. It's, this isn't going to go anywhere, but it's just funny to think about. It's fun. Just think about that tonight when I lay in bed. Legendary boxing referee Mills Lane passes away. That's very sad to hear. Very sad to hear. Mills Lane, you guys know about him. I got to watch quite a few fights that he refereed. Um, he was a 10 and one boxer. I did not know that. Law school graduate, I could have, uh, I knew that he was a judge. Former district attorney, former district judge, well-respected boxing referee, member of the Inter International Boxing Hall of Fame. But the one thing that we all know him for, of course, MTV's Celebrity Deathmatch, which to this day, there are very few theme songs for a television show that come anywhere near as badass as this theme is. It is so badass. It's such a great riff. Such a great, great riff. You guys must remember this. This is when MTV, watching MTV was awesome. Night and day, it was just a great channel. Well, folks, we're all out of time. This is Johnny Gomez saying good fight, go. good night. It's coming. I'm gonna build it up.
It's fucking heavy. Heavy as heavy as piss, man. Just piss heavy. That was the best. What comes close to that? Does anybody have... I'll, I'll take suggestions, but the, I'm nominating Celebrity Deathmatch. That hit just... Just fucking balls, man. Balls. That was great. Um, okay, back to our Christmas cafe music. Let's all grow up now. Let's all grow up now for a second. Ketanji Brown Jackson, our new, um, our new just heroic and incredibly diverse Supreme Court Justice. And she's very qualified. She's heroic, qualified, and s- diversity is not even the word. I, I, there's, there's no other word I can find. Because the level of diversity she represents is... Like, my, I have a headache right now. I have a headache. Anyway, um, she suggested, because she's so incredibly smart as well, the intelligence, the acuity, it's through the roof. It'll make anybody just weak in the knees. She suggested that the Christmas classic, It's a Wonderful Life, is fodder for white supremacists in oral arguments over free speech case. Um, U.S. Supreme Court on Monday listened to arguments in the case about Colorado web designer, we were talking about that, who doesn't want to create wedding websites for same-sex couples. Totally fine. The conservative justices argued the web designer has freedom of speech to choose which uh, websites she designs. And I would have to go and say that they would extend the same kind of courtesy to anybody else. Justice Neil Gorsuch noted that a business person's objection would not be based on the status of same-sex couple, but instead the message the business person did not want to send. The question isn't who, Gorsuch said, but what exactly. A gay couple comes in and says, hey, listen, uh, we need a graduation cake. That's something. I mean, it may not be your bag. You may not see anything wrong with it. That's fine, which is why you would take that that job over somebody else who does see a problem with it and it all levels out you got the money you got the money and um then the other person was able to just very nicely bow out say i don't care anyway ketanji brown jackson um this is the person who doesn't know what a woman is she she kind of shied away from doing that she used Christmas classic It's a Wonderful Life to argue the First Amendment case. This is, this is the, uh, the quote that was posted on the Gateway Pundit. I want to do video depictions of It's a Wonderful Life, and knowing that movie very well, I want to be authentic. And so only white children and white families can be customers for that particular product. Everybody else can, and I'll give to everybody else. I'll sell them anything they want, just not It's a Wonderful Life depictions. Kentanjay Brown Jackson said, I'm expressing something, right? For the purposes of that speech, I can say anti-discrimination laws can't make me sell It's a Wonderful Life packages to non-white individuals. I have to... I, if you want to hear it in her own voice, uh, maybe maybe it's, 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 it's just as confusing coming out of this pea brain, her mouth. Listen. 
a public business. I'm a photographer. My belief is that, you know, uh, I'm doing It's a Wonderful Life scenes. That's what I'm offering, okay? I wanna do video depictions of It's a Wonderful Life. And um, I'm knowing that movie very well. I wanna be authentic and so only white children and families can be uh, 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 customers for that particular product. Everybody else can, I'll, I'll give to everybody else, I'll sell them anything they want, just not the It's a Wonderful Life depictions. Um, I'm expressing something, right, for your purposes, that, that speech. What about, uh, what's the other step? It's speech and I can say anti-discrimination laws can't make me sell the It's a Wonderful Life package to uh, non-white individuals. Now you have to you have to just pity her. You have to pity this creature. You have to pity her. Um, it's it's a pitiful thing that somebody lives in that that headspace, and they've been, dare I say, groomed into that headspace, of which there's no escape. This is just who she is now. Um, and, and, and if I'm going to play devil's advocate, and I often play devil's advocate in my head to test out my own stances to see what I want to bring to the bring to air and how I want to um, I, how I want to moderate myself on an issue one way or another, and, and just and just see where there are holes in the logic, and maybe just you know I'm always battling myself to try to see if I've missed something. I do that often. I do it often. Doesn't mean that I get anything everything right. I'm just. I, 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 I'm here representing myself, and I try. Now, I I play devil's advocate on, on issues like this too to try to see. Okay, am I seeing this wrong? Uh, discrimination for free speech, one thing or another, and I could come up with maybe I haven't done it, but I could definitely come up with a better example than this. What the fuck are you even trying to say, you incoherent? creature from the dark side what are you even trying to say how does that have to do anything even as you know an, an allegory I, I I don't I don't understand I don't understand just so stupid so stupid and she probably wrote that it is like okay I'm gonna oh oh this is good oh this is good and it's Christmas time too it's Christmas time too let me go in uh, in and, uh, and smear this. Now, she's not the dumbest uh, in, in the Supreme Court. Not the dumbest because you have um, that uh, Sotomayor character there. And she's just drooling. Drooling dumb. But, um, but yeah, racist zealot. And that's exactly why she was picked. We know what she's serving. So um, that, that's just incredible. We did get a little, I did get some insight from John Paul Rice, though. John Paul Rice put his two cents in, and I really appreciate that. So let's get to that, to that right now. John Paul Rice suggested, he said, try to understand how she was raised in a world of fear and had to hold on to such false beliefs to reinforce her trauma. That's where all of this comes from. It matters not her accomplishments or achievements or stature. Alice Miller's work is profound in showing how all of us, how all of us suffer. And then he, uh, and then he put this. Uh, then he gave us a a Life magazine. It's a Wonderful Life, the season's most beautiful film. 
He said, do you see how this place works, Frank? This was at the Walmart checkout yesterday. Divide and Conquer is created by them at all times in the most subtle of ways. Once you see the synchronization of subtle energies, you will see it everywhere. They Live is a very, very real film. So, like I said, truly pitiful. It is a pitiful thing. And, um, that just got to ignore them at this point but thank you for the uh, way in john paul rice and we're going to kick this one off i have a one other thing to do before we jump on into our talk about bioethics ethics in general but uh, we'll be right back don't go anywhere share the show far and wide i put all the live links out on all my socials so give it a retweet a reblog a retruth a re whatever and uh and thanks for everything we'll be back in a gif we bring in the studio this morning one of the gay rights activists, Mr. Should I call you Mr. Pepe Julian Onzima? Thank you for coming in. Thank you for Good morning. Me. Morning to you. Why are you gay? Who says I'm gay? You are gay. You let one ant stand up to us, then they all might stand up. Those puny little ants outnumber us a hundred to one. And if they ever figure that out, there goes our way of life. It's not about food. It's about keeping those ants in line. That's why we're going back. Does anybody else want to stay? Let's ride! Frank stupid hello everybody I don't like when that happens I work too damn hard not to have the best transitions in radio in new radio at least welcome to the show ladies and gentlemen I'm glad that you're here I'm glad you survived the pre-show with me and I want to just jump right on in because it's a follow-up to last night we did a little on this, I think, in the opening or something like that. But we have uh, this journalist, Matt Taibbi. He added a little bit more color to the Jim Baker, the James Jim Baker story at Twitter. And I, I want to just do that with you right now. Thank you all so much for the time and for the attention. Remember, you can submit thoughts to the show uh, through quite frankly superchat.com or the rumble rants or the gold pills on quite frankly.tv um, also rockfin the tips but um, but yeah uh, a lot of people have also asked Frank are you going to be doing more of the uh, out of the mouths of babes because there are so many people that that submitted things there are pages I love striking a subject like this that is so ripe 
I can't just keep it one night. So I don't know. I think I'll I'll do some more on Friday, either before or after, before or after um, we have we have Sam Tripoli on. I'll find time there. We'll do more. Actually, we had Lauren just had more today. You you remember I told? Okay. Well, I wasn't there for this. Lauren took the baby this morning to uh, Target to Target because she had to do some uh, Christmas shopping for one or two people. And I told you about the baby's, you know, she's learning new words and can't say everything. The several words are F-U-C-K. And then, um, you know, she, she tries to use the word clock a lot, but she can't say the L. She can't go cluh, cluh. So it's just cock constantly, you know? And um, today, Lauren said, she, go, she goes, Frank, I don't, it, it killed me today. She's, they're walking around in Target, and they come upon this, this area, uh, this section that is just all wall clocks, big, small, all different types of colors. And she says, for some reason, there's a little bit of break, there's a lull in the music that's being pumped through the entire store. And it just seems like everything was just so quiet all of a sudden. And that's when Aurora started making the observation. The cock over here. Look, oh, mommy, this, look, mommy, a cock. And then, of course, there were black and white cocks that she's screaming about. Black cock. And Lauren told me this. And I went, oh, no. I started, I started, the sweat started beating up on my forehead. And this was a secondary story at this point. So, um... There's plenty. There's plenty there for everybody to pick from. Uh, new memories made every day, and I'm sure they're just getting started. So I'm going to get into this. I'll, I'll get deeper into that thread because th- there's a lot of richness there, and I'm not going to let it all just go up and smoke for one night. We'll get to it on Friday. And it might be one of those things that we get to. There are certain threads and topics that we do yearly. Um, the deer scene we do yearly. Uh, six degrees of separation we do sometime around May or June every year where people tell us six degrees of separate they are within six degrees whether it be you know just association or related to people significant people from history or people who did something significant or you know um, what's the other one that we do um, it's the other what's the uh, oh diamonds in the rough Diamonds in the rough. Those were those are great threads. So we'll get around to it, no doubt about it. All right. So here we go. We're going into the uh, the Matt Taibbi thread here. It's a the Twitter files supplemental. Here we go. He says on Friday the first installment of the Twitter files was published here. We expected we expected to publish more over the weekend. Many wondered why there was a delay. We can now tell you the the reason why. On Tuesday, Twitter Deputy General Counsel and former FBI General Counsel Jim Baker was fired. Among the reasons, vetting the first batch of Twitter files without knowledge of new management. Now, that's huge. That's not to say that that Jim Jim Baker's presence in, in Twitter was unknown to people, but just really unknown to new management. Elon Musk, and I don't know how much Elon Musk followed along with Russiagate, but, you know, uh, people like Tracy, 
uh, Harold Finch, people I talk to often, they're the, they've, they've known about and have been pointing out that James Baker has been hired by Twitter like two years ago. Now, the reasons for going over there, who knows? Maybe he just needed some a change of scenery. Uh, maybe they knew because the FBI knew about the Hunter Biden laptop a long time before uh, the New York posted. Perhaps they knew that that was coming and he went to change scenery. A lot of these people take jobs in big tech. They knew that the, the election is coming and they could run interference a little bit better there. I don't know. They, they all get rotated around like pedophile priests. You just don't. It, it could be anything. It could be things just as as easily explainable as wanted a, a job change. But Baker, they're more than this. He worked alongside of Peter Strzok to frame to help frame Michael Flynn. He was part of that. He had a hand in the FISA stuff as well. Um, but the the other thing that he did that he worked with Michael Sussman, who just skated in court this year, a couple of months ago. He worked uh, alongside of Michael Sussman from Perkins Coy. That is the guy. He's the lawyer from Perkins Coy that passed that bullshit story about Alpha Bank the lie about Alpha Bank to Baker as long uh, as well as a whole bunch of journalists too that the lie that there was a back channel between Donald Trump's businesses and Alpha Bank which is a Russian bank that has ties to Putin and God knows how many else it was a lie about how there was this back channel open between Trump organizations and Alpha Bank so Baker happily passed that along happily passed that along up the chain in the fbi aside from and remember you had john mccain passing things along to the fbi to do his his uh patriotic duty no stone left unturned they all these fucks knew what the hell they were doing they all knew and um and that's it so and this is aside from like i said journalists being contacted because One thing, you know, as far as recognizing patterns over the last couple of years for people who are just paying attention for the first time, this was a pattern that was also uh, prominent. That is, whenever you have a nonsense story that is there to smear or cause legal problems, or in this case, Donald Trump needed to be politically paralyzed now that he was in, now he was in office, you want to be able to not only give it to somebody on the inside that can run it up the chain and put it in front of a person who has status and some kind of a title, a seat, an office in a bureau that is really, really prestigious. You also want to give it to trusted people in the media who will report breathlessly on the fact that it has merely been reviewed by a government official that has some kind of clout. Remember... Remember when, uh, I mean, because, um, of course, that's the lead. It, the lead. The the media at that point doesn't need to actually even worry about what is real and what isn't. If it's a controversial piece of material that is being reviewed by government officials, that is the lead to be able to create the headlines and cover your ass without drawing conclusions as to you just want to implant something in the reader's brain they can draw a conclusion they can have all of their their very easily assigned political biases and prejudices triggered by the way that something is uh, reported on even vaguely it's very easy we are predictable pre-programmed biocomputers nothing to be worried about there it's the same exact thing thing that happened with the dossier in general in uh january of 2017 you guys remember how that all went down? You had James Clapper giving the green light to, Jane, to Jake Tapper. 
were, and they all have fucking, all their names just suck. So you have Clapper gave Tapper the green light to go report on the dossier stuff. Why? Because the dossier had been presented at that point by Comey and whoever else to both the incoming Trump administration and the outgoing Obama administration. Now, was anything in the dossier real? Was, was the peeing on Russian hookers real? Anything real? No. Bullshit from start to finish, and we know so much more about it now that we had these summer trials that were going on. Um, know so much more about Christopher Steele and over the last six years now. It's incredible. It's incredible. But the fact that two administrations, outgoing and incoming, were briefed on it, that created the lead for, for the media. That was a lead. And, and that was it. That was the story. This is what they do. And this is the kind of stuff that, that James Baker was a part of with Alpha Bank and everything else. So Baker being at Twitter um, and, and no one in, in new management knew, maybe they just didn't know the background. Maybe they weren't paying attention during the whole Russian thing. You know, uh, Elon Musk is a very busy guy. Whether you like what he's working on or not, some people just don't have the, uh, um, the, the time or the interest to work out all of the, you know, the tree graphs that we were doing, connecting the Nelly Ors with the Bruce Ors and the James Bakers and the, the Strucks and the Pages and all them together, um, you know, getting all the timing down with the, the tarmac meaning and, and old casket legs out there, Loretta Lynch, it, 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 everything, the, the Wiener laptop, how it was all just working together in those couple, it was mind boggling, the kind of information that we were sorting out while the press was trying to do the opposite. They were trying to keep the puzzle scrambled and this James Baker, which I probably didn't even touch on everything that he was doing, this is who was over there going through all of this information with the Twitter files. So they have to get him out of there. That pop goes the weasel. Let's keep going, though. On Friday, the first installment of all the weekend of blah, 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 new management. The process for producing the Twitter files involved delivery to two journalists, Barry Weiss and me. Via a lawyer, a lawyer close to the new management, however, after the initial batch, things became complicated. Over the weekend, while we both dealt with obstacles to new searches, it was Barry Weiss who discovered that the person in charge of releasing the files was someone by the name Jim. When she called to ask Jim's last name, the answer came back, Jim Baker. They didn't even want to give, they didn't even want to give the last name. Like, all right, well, don't, hey, listen, they didn't ask. They didn't ask for a full name. They just asked for a name. So just say Jim. You're technically not lying. My God. Yo, Jim. That's who. Oh, oh, Jim. Gotcha. My jaw hit the floor, said Weiss. The first batch of files spoke uh, of uh, uh, files both reporters received was marked Spectra Baker emails. Baker is a controversial figure. He's been something of a zealig of FBI controversies dating back to 2016 from the Steele dossier to the Alpha server mess. He resigned in 2018 after an investigation into leaks to the press. The news that Baker was reviewing the Twitter files surprised everyone involved, to say the least. New Twitter chief Elon Musk acted quickly to exit Baker on Tuesday. And reporters resume searches through Twitter's uh, Twitter file material. A lot of it today. The next installment of the Twitter files will appear uh, with Barry Weiss. Weiss. 
Stay tuned. That was last night. This was last night. It's just incredible. Just incredible. So that's like I said. Did he leave uh, for just for a change of, of scenery? Did he just want to stop taking bringing heat on the FBI? Did he also know that it was just better to go to Twitter because that's where a good fight could be had in the upcoming elections? And I don't know. It could be any of those things. Any of those things. Here's some reaction from Lee Fang. He says Twitter's top former uh, top former attorney, former top attorney James Baker was formerly an FBI attorney who passed on fake dirt from Hillary campaign operatives in 2016, alleging a secret online portal from Russia's Alpha Bank to Trump, now attempted to shape the Twitter files, which, of course, um, all of the leftist dismissive eye rollers out there, like uh, Aaron Rupar and people like that, are just like, oh, uh, this is it. First of all, this is it. Yes, it's huge. It's huge. The kind of activity... The kind of activity, the suppressive, politically biased, pointedly political activity that was normalized on a large scale is a very big it. We know uh, it's very mundane for you having control of these kinds of media channels all over the place. I know that you have to just act like this is just the way it is. This is what the shepherds of our society have to deal with every day. That, that's the way that they see it. That's what they see it as, you know, they, they see themselves as, as, um, as sheepdogs. They really do. Some know exactly what they're up to and, uh, and they understand that they have a lot of political and, um, and, and other types of cover and all they really have to do is be obtuse and gaslight you into thinking that you're nuts. But there are other people out there who truly believe that they are the sheepdogs of society. They're the sheepdogs, you know, um, and, and, and to complain about the way that the sheepdogs have to keep the sheep safe is just like, uh, do you understand what sheepdogs do every day? Uh, someone doesn't know what a sheepdog does. Look at this loser. Freaks. I hate them all. I hate them. I hate them. Why is that not playing? What the hell's happening here? Oh, my bad. I hate them. There you go. Didn't want to leave that out. Anyway, here's another reaction from Eric Weinstein when he heard this. He was a little flabbergasted. I can't quite believe what I'm reading, so let's go slow. The FBI's former attorney was hired by previous Twitter management and was the one vetting the files to be given to Barry Weiss and Matt Taibbi. That might reveal FBI collusion. And new owner, Elon Musk, wasn't told any of this. Right. Not until he had to. And even when they asked, all they gave was a first name, Jim. (laughs) They only gave a first name. They're like, oh, we're trying. We're holding on to dear life here. Oh, we lost Jim. We lost Jim, everybody. We're... (laughs) That's it. Nothing we can do now. Who knows what comes next? Who knows what comes next? Anyway, all right, um, into the next thing that we have, into the next thing that we have here, and that is bioethics, and it has a little something to do with Elon Musk. It's not that big. It's not that big of a shift. Now, we brought up last night, um, we brought up last night about the Neuralink monkeys, 
how you have all the Twitter stuff that's going on. It's obviously ruffling some feathers inside of the government, ruffling some feathers big time. And no matter what you think about people like Donald Trump, people like Elon Musk, those who think that they are kind of like gray agents, that they have good and bad, more bad than good, more good than bad going on there, all good, all bad, it doesn't matter. The fact is that there is certain types of behavior that you see coming from the bigger system that can't be ignored. That makes you say, well, there's a little something there that's being resisted. They're getting violent. A little bit of holy water has been thrown onto them. So um, we've we got to look into this a little bit more. Well, they started saying now we have that there is a um, an investigation or some kind of a probe going into Tesla, which I, I mean, whatever. The little, I mean, he, how much government money has he received for his space projects? But Tesla, there should be a probe into Tesla. All the, all the cars that crash and shit like that. I don't care about that. But the Neuralink monkeys, that was something that got me, it's really scratching my head. And not scratching my head for long because I know exactly what's going on there. As I said last night, it's not like they are, they are up in arms about the lives of 15 Neuralink monkey uh, patients or whatever, subjects, test subjects that were exposed to some kind of harm along the way with these brain chip implants. They don't care about that. 1,500 monkeys? You're telling me that they care about these monkeys more than they care about us? The same people who are putting this, um, this untested goop into us? So, I mean... It is what it is. I think that we're all, in their eyes, equally disposable creatures. But the problem here is that they have lost at least firm control, a secure grip on their loudest bullhorn in the media that they had for a long time, and that was Twitter, where they were completely uncontested in anything that they did. And it was the way that they made all of their older legacy systems in media more relevant than they are. I mean... the. the that's it. You need YouTube and Google and Twitter to be able to take clips from CNN and MSNBC and proliferate them through other means because nobody is sitting down and, t- and tuning into the television anymore. I-, I-, I always laugh. I don't care who the hell's on top on TV, Sean Hannity. I don't care if it's Fox News or CNN. You're looking at these people who have at most 3 million people watching them in a country of 380 million. It's, it's pathetic. Someone like Brian Stelter has 300,000 people watching them. There are, there are shows on the internet that have more than that watching them. Always remember, whenever you're watching a show on the internet and there is a certain amount of people watching in one room, you should always multiply that by at least two or three because people watch internet shows together as couples and families and groups of friends in dorm rooms and whatever. Uh, as they used to gather around the television. It's not that people don't make time for, for, um, for media anymore. It's just that they're not clicking on the cable TV. It's other things. So we've replaced it, and this was how old media was keeping up. So there's a, lot, there's a lot of pushback here. There really is a lot of authentic, at least in my eyes. Maybe you see something differently, and I'd like to hear that as well. But, um, but here we have this, this whole idea of ethics that this is just what it is. We, we here we here have a, an ethical backbone that the rest of the world doesn't. We want to go and make sure that we figure out what's happening to these monkeys. 
we got to make sure what's happening to these monkeys are on the up and up. Well, I want to read you a little something here. I have some stories tonight that, have, that remind you about bioethics and, and what it's really about. And the last time I brought this up, though it's been expanded on in this Substack article, um, written by Igor Chudov. The last time we spoke about this, it was in May of 2020 or something like that. It was in 2020 and it was called the morality vaccine or something. Because I remember I combined it with some commentary on that Christian Bale film, Equilibrium. And it's a, in this movie, it's where you have this tightly controlled society in which everybody is prescribed by government mandatory, you know, in uh, mandatory medication that dulls out your emotions and keeps you completely neutral on everything and obedient, docile individuals that, that adhere to a very strict hierarchy of things. There are enforcers. That's what Christian Bale is and all that. And um, it's a great movie to be honest. I, I, I really enjoy it. They use color very nicely in talking and showing how things are dim and dark. And, uh, and But those who aren't on this, like Soma, you know, in Brave New World, they have everybody that's prescribed Soma that does the same thing. It keeps you docile. You think about all the psychoactive drugs and the pharmaceuticals that we are we're, uh, swallowing today, especially in the United States. It's, um, I mean, it's, it's not a far, it's not a far leap. Anyway, Christian Bale's character in this misses his dose one day and suddenly starts feeling things and decides to just let it roll for a little bit. And in, in disconnecting from all of that, he starts seeing the way society is, how it's become for the ugliness that it is, and starts becoming an agent of change. And of course, you know, he goes through his own kind of character arc where he was first dressed in black as the, the state enforcer. By the end, he's dressed in white. He's coming back to try to break the whole thing, shatter the whole thing. Of course, the hierarchy, uh, the, the highest, the upper echelons of this kind of, a, uh, of, of government, you go into their office buildings and they have things that are very vividly colored. You can tell they're not taking the Soma because, as I said before, communism is for the people, not the communists. But anyway, we were talking about this because an ethicist not too long ago was writing, and you can say, Frank, it's anecdotal. Yes, yes, it is anecdotal, but we see more and more for, uh, revealed the mentality of the, uh, the intelligentsia for these statist types, that this is something that they are warming up to or have been in secret for a very long time. They cannot stand free will. They cannot stand free humanity. They can't stand it. They hate the idea of families. They hate the ideas of tradition. They hate it. Here's from November 21st, not too long ago. Should individualism be medicated away to be replaced by welfareism? The WEF moral bioenhancement pills to bring collectivist future. Medical ethics is a large field of study. The COVID pandemic certainly brought many medical ethics issues to the forefront and produced rather amazing ethicist gems such as this. This is from one Andrew Joseph, who published on January of 2022, this year, hospitals are denying transplants for patients who aren't vaccinated against COVID with backing from ethicists. I told you, skip. In December of 2020, when they were, st were just rolling this crap out, 
he had a an older kidney that had you know it was um, the kidney so one of the kidneys he was born with because he was a kidney transplant patient and he had a he had a kidney for 19 years it was working for him and the kidneys that he was born with they had hadn't they'd just been then they, and they don't take them out they actually put the new kidney in so he actually had like three physical kidneys only one of them was working anyway it was a um it was a, a really uh, a rough a rough um holiday season in 2020 because we knew that this one kidney of his was just in, it had cancer this older kidney who had cancer they had to take the old kidney out so we're thinking about that he was getting the surgery just before christmas but they would not let him have the surgery if he did not have this brand new and now we know as as we all could uh have guessed over there completely untested cocktail of shit but of course backing it's been backed by ethicists this is the tyranny of the experts the rule of the experts here who the hell are we who the hell are we? For the same reason why people in my life who I begged with, please don't get this shit, just kind of ignored my texts and went and, and followed what all the uh, the white coats told them. Because really, who am I? It's just Frank, my cousin, my blah, 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 my son, my whatever the hell. I, I'm not, uh, you know, Frank, PhD. It's just me. But an ethicist, oh, bend over. Beware that bioethics has moved on to proposals that might seem crazy to you but are considered seriously and published in Bill Gates-funded publications and scientific journals. Important studies on this subject are conducted under the auspices of the World Economic Forum. Forcibly giving people collectivism-promoting morality pills is a popular suggestion among bioethicists. It was published in Bill Gates-funded The Conversation and is discussed widely in scientific literature. The Conversation received $7 million from Bill Gates but pretends to be an independent journalism publication. This is the one we were talking about. This is the one that we covered together a couple of years ago. I remember from the thumbnail with the, uh, the, the yellow and the black pill. So what is this all about? Oh, man, I should go into that one. I should go into that one again. But anyway, what are these morality pills? You might think that morality to them means a good husband or a wife, honesty in business, working hard, fulfilling promises, and so on. Why not enhance that? What's the problem? Well, the problem is that it's not what they, that's not how they define morality. To them, morality is a collectivist mindset, lack of critical thinking and compliance. The article explains that some people lack moral qualities and refuse to wear masks or take COVID vaccines or even deny climate change. Yes. Yes. Okay. So we don't have to read that. They're, they're summing it up pretty well. Here's an excerpt. My research in bioethics focuses on questions like how to induce those who are non-cooperative to get on board with doing what's best for the public good. To me, it seems the problem of coronavirus defectors could be solved by moral enhancement, like receiving a vaccine to beef up your immune system. People could take a substance to boost their cooperative pro-social behavior. You don't want to be antisocial, do you? Could a psychoactive pill be the solution for the pandemic or to the pandemic? They propose giving people pills to, to enhance collectivist morality and explain the climate change angle in relevance. Here's another excerpt. 
But a strategy like this could be a way uh, could be a way out of this pandemic, a future outbreak, or the suffering associated with climate change. That's why we should be thinking of it now. The proposed solution to give people morality pills is more than idle thinking. Several candidate psychoactive substances are identified and considered seriously. Psilocybin, oxytocin, for example. Psilocybin, that's what you get with your, uh, with your uh, magic mushrooms. The obvious objection uh, to all this morality pill talk is the skeptics would not take them. I would not take such a pill to enhance my collectivist mindset. At the risk of being presumptuous, I would say that you, my dear subscriber, would refuse them also as well. Um, the ethicists have a solution to that, though. It's where it's get crazy. Administer collective morality pills by force or surreptitiously. As some have argued, a solution would, this is an excerpt, as some have argued, a solution would be to make moral enhancement compulsory or administer it secretly, perhaps via water supply. The water supply. These actions require weighing other values. Uh, does the good of covertly do dosing public with a drug that could change people's behavior outweigh individuals' autonomy to choose whether to participate? Does the good associated with wearing a mask outweigh an individual's autonomy not to wear one? And as we know, the mask wearing, the six feet in distance, all that stuff was based on zero science Nothing that was done in goodwill, nothing that was based on any kind of data. It was all political. Much of it, when it comes to schools, was dictated by teachers' unions, not scientists. And we also now know now that we are two and a half years removed that social distancing not only helped not a, a bit, but did a lot of damage to people, not only psychologically, um, socially, but health-wise too, because a lot of immune systems took a hit from not being around other people to stay strong. So um, you think about an ethicist, just, just think about somebody with their head so far up their ass, so far up their ass that they're completely, they just don't know where they are. But they keep talking about it. Here's some serious articles discussing how to do it. Bioethics, Wiley Online Library. This is from August of 2018. Compulsory moral bioenhancement should be covert. The abstract on this one, some theorists argue that moral bioenhancement ought to be compulsory. I take this argument one step further, arguing that if moral bioenhancement ought to be compulsory, then its administration ought to be covert rather than overt. This is to say that it is morally preferable for compulsory moral bioenhancement to be administered without the recipients knowing that they are receiving the enhancement, i.e., i.e., e.g., Fluoride in your water. There everybody says, oh, it's, it's for your teeth. It's for your teeth. No, we know that it lowers IQ and especially uh, impacts baby boys in utero and in the earlier stages in life more than girls. So they've been doing this a number of ways. God knows what the spraying is. My argument for this is that moral bioenhancement ought to be compulsory. It's a matter of public health, and for this reason should be governed by public health. In particular, a covert compulsory program promotes values such as liberty. Liberty. When you are a zonked out zombie who can't make decisions for yourself and roll over when a perceived authority figure comes and leans on you to go one way or another with your life. That's liberty. Did you understand that? 
A covert psychoactive substance administration to the masses must not be discussed publicly before its implementation, right? So the ethicists desire to bypass any democratic uh, process or prior public discussion and scrutiny. These ethicists refuse to see an ethical problem with that. The World Economic Forum sponsored research into collectivist bioenhancement as well. Some of you, my dear readers, might think that this is a so batshit crazy that it is simply useless musings of fringe philosophers not worthy of discussing. Quite to the contrary, the famous and influential organization known as the WEF sponsors such enhancement research. This is from the NIH. Rethinking human enhancement as collective welfareism. And there is Linda P. Fried, or Freed, under one of the um, the co-authors, who is, as they pointed out, the aunt of Sam Bankman-Fried of FTX. Linda Freed, uh, mentioned above, is the aunt of Sam Bankman-Fried. Sam stole billions of dollars from crypto investors, in my opinion, he says, and used that money to become the second largest Democrat party, well, political party, political donor, period. Second for the Democrats and like number four for Republicans. So Linda Freed is not exactly a nobody languishing in the obscurity. By the way, a friend of this blog, El Gato, wrote a great post discussing him, uh, whatever. Anyway, they're explaining collective welfareism. And it goes on. Self-absorbed do-gooders. This is not a conspiracy theory. Um, we know that they're very self-absorbed. And we know that this goes into a lot of things um, that need to be considered about our government, uh, especially when they when they come out and they say things like, well, we, we're very, very concerned about the 1,500 monkeys that might have been hurt by these brain chips. We know that you have no ethical backbone. We know that your, your friends, the people that you sponsor, they have no ethical backbone, nothing like that whatsoever. So w- where is this all coming from? That's the first question. There's more that I want to add on to this as we go into our break. When we come back, there is a, uh, a story out of New Zealand a, uh, I would say a bioethical story out of New Zealand about a mother who is looking to get a, some very uh, important surgery for their baby boy, but does not want the boy, if he needs to have any kind of blood transfusion, to take on any blood from people who have been vaccinated. Of course, this is getting her in very hot water, may even result in the baby being taken away by the state. After we read that, we're going to be taking on a call with our returning guest, Scott Shara, who is going to be talking about not only commenting a little bit about bioethicists and his, uh, his past uh, experience with his own daughter, who very um, sorrowfully lost her life at the hands of ridiculous uh, and um, Nazi-like hospital protocols, but he's now in the business of prepping people for making their trips into hospitals and even trying to rescue people from dicey hospital stays. So we're going to be talking about that in uh, the upcoming segment. I hope you stick with me and help share the show again so that we can boost our numbers in the second half even bigger than the first. Thank you, and we will be right back. Welcome to Intermission. We'll we'll be right back. Yeah, Intermission. Intermission. 
entering. Quite frankly. 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 We all support quite frankly. Quite frankly. Let's go, Brandon. Not quite. Quite frankly in Roma, Italia. I really like you. You're very smart. So everybody watch. Quite frankly. With Frank. Quite frankly. How dare you? A few things to do now in the opening uh, of the second half is getting into our super chats. See what's going on there, and then uh, keeping them, keeping the train rolling. Because I like second half guests get to just relax, do that. Quite frankly, superchat.com. Sean Haug says this is for that time some lady complained about the intro song being too heavy, and you busted out "Rational Gaze" by Mashuga. I remember that. I remember that. Anyone who knows and can appreciate the genius of Meshuga is of a higher caliber in my book. You're tip top tier, bro. Love you. Thank you, Sean. I remember that. Oh, it's too too much. It's too much. And I was like, oh, get out. Just get out of here. Meshuga. That's repellent. I just had to put the repellent out. I'll go heavier. No, it's not. I can't. I can't. I'm. I just can't. Good, good. The show wasn't show wasn't for you. It wasn't meant for you over there in the nursing home. And that's not to disparage all the cool grandmas that are watching this from the nursing home, because I know there's plenty of you, eighty-year-old grannies who could who could who could keep up with me and my heavy tastes. That is inspirational. Love it. Let's see, Albert Frederick, the funny part is this is all going to get worse. Uh, can we not, yeah, that is hilarious. Can we not see that they, they just don't even give a fuck at this point? They are showing it in everyone's, shoving it in everyone's face and saying, what are you gonna do about it? The truth is they are weak, trying to act strong. That is the best part. That is the best part, and I enjoy that part. Another one from Sean Haug says, dude, that guitar tone riff was so punchy, reminded me of the damn river, uh, damn that river by Alice in Chains, uh, or something off of the Tool album, 10,000 Days, like Rosetta Stoned, or heavier parts toward the end of Right In Two. Yeah. Yeah. No, they, they got that toned down good on MTV for that. And that was just a time when, if you wanted something to be badass, you were gonna get into heavy metal, it was gonna be heavy. You know, I remember it was like MTV Spring Break in, I don't know, it had to be the mid to late, it had to be the late 90s. MTV Spring Break and at Spring Break Fear Factory was playing. I haven't seen it since. I, I don't know when the hell it was, but they had Fear Factory on stage at Spring Break. That's where, you know, and, and, and I started, ma I mastered that in my own parties too. And when we would have parties, 
there's a lot of girls that show up, a lot of guys who don't like rock. But if you know how to work a party, a, a really well-placed, high-energy metal rock, hard rock song, everybody responds to it. It's just you just have to be able to just drop it, drop it in the right spot, and then just, just spread out your taste a little bit there, too. Read the room, know when they're ready for it. Just get them good and warmed up. So uh, here's a uh, here's a super chat from American Girl that I missed last night. Let me read that right now. Frank, my hubby and I dated through high school. First time he came to my house, my sister was about 18 months old. While playing, she said, shit. She screamed the word shit. My dad, who was fixing the car, popped his head up and uh, head up and screamed, where the fuck did she learn that? My hubby died laughing. That is funny. Great timing by your father. That's awesome. Yeah, no, I'm, I am I watch myself very closely. But I know that cursing isn't the least of it. It's other things. And I'm going to be so intrigued to see the kind of, just the kind of everything. Because she's already got the hands. The hands are already all over the place all over the place and it's very intriguing i can't wait to see the other kind of base programming that lauren and i are installing right now <laughs> that we're not going to be able to uninstall um but we we take we take a lot of things into advisement and the way that we react is uh very calm and rational even when we're facing abject irrationality doesn't matter we just all right and then eventually I just grab her by her ankles and carry her out of the room upside down. She doesn't want to go anywhere. I mean, negotiating only goes so far. And then I just have to carry her out of the room. You're under arrest. And I arrest her. That's it. She's under arrest. It's over. All right. Over there on to Rockfin. Patriot Angie for Liberty says, hello, Frank. Wish me happy birthday. Happy birthday. Yes, my grandpa taught me about Pearl Harbor Day because it's my birthday. What a wonderful day. My three-year-old granddaughter called me and sang me happy birthday. So cute. Tried the Kraken coffee. Uh, super good. I haven't opened the, quite frankly, light roast yet. There is not a light roast yet, for quite frankly. But I want to lighten the roast. I want to get there. But right now, it's just a medium roast. A full city medium roast, I think, Guatemala and Brazil got to get that down i want to give you the 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 specifics maybe christian can send that to me um i haven't opened the quite frankly roast yet i also got a secret nature cbd indica vape super great happy holidays to you and yours and angie i just just you know what it sounds like you have a great great array of things over there to enjoy your birthday in the utmost so soak it up and just enjoy your day happy birthday to you my friend all right what do we have here PDR111 with a wonderfully generous offering on Rumble. Very generous. Says Edgar Varese. 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 I don't, I, I'm trying to get that. Had a Mengele clone named Sid Barrett. Zappa heavily influenced by Edgar. Edgard. Edgard Varese. I don't know how to say his name. Um, PDR, if you can send me anything you got on the clone thing to um to the website uh, to the the email that would be that would be wonderful i like looking into things like that 
Always a great crowd on Rumble now. It has surpassed so many things, including the uh, the Twitter and the the uh, YouTube in many ways. And more of that to come, hopefully. Let's go on over to Foxhole. Empress, Empress bitch to you. Says, getting you started. Thank you so much, Empress. Boyce Blanc after that. Sean Joe after that. Captain Flint again. Keith, Keith five or Keith S. Thank you, Keith. River Pikes, his air is still free for the, mo- for the time being. We'll be sucking down that Perry air from Spaceballs before you know it. Zoso Dude 77 says, damn, it's good to be alive again. Yeah, I heard Zoso Dude had his, his YouTube channel reinstated. They, uh, they reviewed him and they realized that he wasn't a terrorist. So now he'll be able to um, syndicate the mystery ship there on YouTube again, starting immediately, I guess. That's all I got for you on that. All right, let's start prepping the way for our guest tonight. Scott Shara, who who responds, uh, who returns after a few months here. From Summit News, from Zero Hedge, that is where tyranny starts. New Zealand may take baby from parents that are demanding unvaccinated blood for heart surgery. Over 100 anti-vaccination protests showed, uh, protesters, or protests, showed up in New England to support the parents, oh, has to be protesters, uh, in New Zealand to support the parents of critically ill four-month-old baby in New Zealand who demanded that the hospital provide supplementary blood from unvaccinated donors before the child goes under the knife for pulmonary valve stenosis. It's a heart valve diso- disorder. The boy's mother says she wants safe blood to be used, which her lawyer described as a fear of blood containing traces of vaccines using mRNA technology. The request has been denied by New Zealand Health Service, which says vaccines pose no risk to donor supply. We were talking about this weeks ago. Weeks ago. You know, we we're saying that it's, it's only one thing to say, no, thank you. I'm not taking any of that stuff. But it's another thing to f- suddenly find yourself in a situation where you need to go to the hospital. Something happened. Something you can't plan for. Something you can't plan for. Something you can't bench your bench press your way out of. You know? I mean, the human body, for as incredibly resilient as it is, when it is kept in shape and it's, it's nourished correctly, mind-body connection is strong, heart connection is strong, um, for everything you can say about the resilience of the human body, we are very frail. A fall down a, fall down a flight of steps... I mean, things just happen. And to think that there are so many ways, oh, you need a blood transfusion. Where the blood come from? You know, it's, there's just so many ways. So the request has been denied. The Auckland High Court will decide whether to grant a request to remove the child from the family to perform the surgery. Paul White, a lawyer for, you know, why don't you find out what the blood type of the child is and bring in your own donor? Just bring in your own donor. Paul White, a lawyer for Tehuatu Ora, a.k.a. Health New Zealand, described the baby as getting sicker with every heartbeat. Terrible. 
According to White, a child with this condition would have to be treated by now. Sue Gray, a lawyer for the family, said the doctors are dismissing parents as conspiracy theorists and ignoring their concerns. You should be able to... to see, the, the, the whole idea of informed consent is gone. Is gone. It doesn't matter if the doctors think, oh, this is, this is unfounded. It's the requests of the patients. That's, that is what... That is what the healthcare should be about, about people and the kind of care that they want. A full hearing on the matter will be held on Tuesday. One supporter of the family, Sarah McNulty, said she was standing up for freedom of choice. Quote, there's so many people lined up to give their blood freely, she said, adding, that is where tyranny starts. When the state provides us with, uh, provides us with not being able to give blood freely to a patient that needs it. Oh, so they're standing in the way of that. Okay. According to the officials, the blood service does not segregate blood from vaccinated and unvaccinated donors and that there is no risk from COVID-19 vaccines. See, there you go. Um, there's no risk. Uh, this is, the, your, this is the, the medical orthodoxy of, of the time. This is, what, this is what the good word is. So that's obviously going to be a point of contention for a lot of people. That's obvious. Now, tonight, when we talk to Scott Shara, I'd like for, to get a little bit of a, an understanding of what he thinks, what he thinks about this, because it goes hand in hand with what he's been going through since he was, was made to watch or, and, and actually kept at a distance as his daughter died in the hospital under these types of protocols by the same kind of rigid mentality that is creating this kind of panic, panic situation for parents in New Zealand and elsewhere. I remember prior to 2020, when we would learn about children, children that were in uh, the UK under that NHS, and they would not be allowed to leave the country to go get life-saving, potentially life-saving surgery in other countries, not allowed to go. That, that they just have to languish and die. You know, we're saying that this is the basis for all of those types of uh, death panels that they said was not really implicated in the system that was being set up, the infrastructure that was being created under so-called Obamacare mandates and requirements. That by socializing and centralizing your, um, your health care, you're going to start creating a situation where you are going to have to balance your check your, your your books in the way that you would balance a checkbook. Only thing is that it's not dollars and cents; it's people. It's people who are worthy of help, who are worth helping, and other people who need to be cut because they just don't seem like they have anything going for them. And it takes a choice. It takes a choice away from patients and their families. No matter how dire their situation is, they should have the right to fight and fight in the way that they want to until the bitter end. And when you have privatized and, and customized healthcare like that, you have a lot better chance of that being done. Now we have people asking the question, do doctors enjoy killing people? Now, 
I've had people call into the show, nurses call into the show and tell me about things that they have witnessed in the field and in, in hospitals that, that haunt them to this day. Doctors so-called snowing in patients, putting them into uh, deep comas where they never come out and, uh, and that's it, just kind of doing them a favor on behalf of, I don't know what they thought, like they're euthanizing dogs or like this is PETA or whatever. And, um, and I know that statistically, I'm not going to cast aspersions on everybody because that would be dumb, especially since one day I will need a doctor. Hopefully I'll never have to go to a hospital for anything serious. I pray every day and I work hard on keeping myself healthy. But um, there's a lot of psychopaths out there, a lot of them, a lot of them. And you, and you just don't know the more religious these fields become, the more religious it all becomes, you, you just don't know. And this is a religion. This is like somebody wanting to refuse the Eucharist. It's like, oh no, this, this is your way to salvation. It's completely, it's harmless. It's harmless and it's health promoting, but um, a lot has to be ignored to be able to reach that conclusion. Uh, for now, I'm gonna take a really quick break. When we come back, it's going to be time for Scott Shara. So don't go anywhere, ladies and gents. Be right back. Here. Come on, single file over here. Come on, next one in line. It would kill him to say ho, ho, ho. You were just here. I was not. Yeah, you were. You were on my lap five minutes ago. No, I wasn't. Yes, you were. Now you're going on Santa's list and you're getting nothing. Fuck you, Santa. The shopping cart is the ultimate litmus test for whether a person is capable of self-governing. To return the shopping cart is an easy, convenient task, and one which we all recognize as the correct, appropriate thing to do. To return the shopping cart is objectively right. There are no situations other than dire emergencies in which a person is not able to return their cart. Simultaneously, it is not illegal to abandon your shopping cart. Therefore, the shopping cart presents itself as the apex example of whether a person will do what is right without being forced to do it. No one will punish you for not returning the shopping cart. No one will fine you or kill you for not returning the shopping cart. You gain nothing by returning the shopping cart. You must return the shopping cart out of the goodness of your own heart. You must return the shopping cart because it is the right thing to do. Because it is correct. A person who is unable to do this is no better than an animal. An absolute savage who can only be made to do what is right by threatening them with a law and the force that stands behind it. The shopping cart is what determines whether a person is a good or bad member of society. I love QFTD. Yeah. You're cool. What's up? I love QFTV. Yeah. Yep. You're cool. Uh, what's QFTV? Did you say what's QFTV? Missy gonna need to go over there and watch QFTV Mondays, Wednesdays, Fridays, right after Quite Frankly. Yeah. Oh, you're definitely cool. Only on QuiteFrankly.tv, powered by Foxhole. All right, and we're back. QFTV is live after this broadcast concludes. It is a Wednesday night, so that's that's what we'll be doing after this. The, at 9 o'clock tonight, you'll be able to find out quitefrankly.tv. And right now, we're joined by Scott Shara. It's great to have him back on the show. Scott, are you there? I am. 
Great oh, to see you. It's great to see you again, too, my friend. I hope everything has been well for you and the family, and we have a lot to talk about. Uh, first thing I wanted to open up with is we have this uh, this story out of New Zealand, and it's a, 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 par- a couple of parents. They have a child that needs life-saving heart surgery, and they requested that whatever blood, supplementary blood, would be needed for the surgery um, would be unvaccinated. N- not only have they been refused, the, ho- the, the the healthcare system is trying to stand in the way of them providing their own donors, and now they are the uh, the government at large is mulling the ability to take the child away from these crazy conspiracy theorist parents. Now, this definitely ties into the kind of work that you do today and the kind of uh, rigid mentality that you witness for yourself with the the very sad story of your own daughter. So, uh, any thoughts that you have on this? Well, I, you know, it's a sad state. I mean, the parents are obviously a hundred percent right, but the sad state that we're in, you know, we have submitted as a society to collectivism instead of individualism. So this type of thing is what you'd expect. You know, the state has become the source of our rights versus God. And when the state replaces God, this is exactly the type of tyranny we should come to expect. So it is really no surprise. It is so frustrating. This whole unvaccinated blood thing I was on too early on um, because you know, in putting resources together after Grace's death, I stumbled across this. And you know, you can't prepare enough against these tyrants. And um, you know, it's 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 hard to stomach. I just read about it. I had heard about it the other day, and then I just read Steve Kirsch's uh, email earlier earlier today, and um, uh, it's sad. Yeah. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. You know, in your estimation, um, obviously, we're watching still all the all the the messaging that comes out from the media and the the, the pharmaceutical companies and the, the the federal bureaus that they that they represent and 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 work alongside of but how prevalent do you think that hospital murders are still are the hospital murderers murders still happening these today like they were let's say in 2020 that's a fantastic question and the answer is yes with an exclamation point but i need to explain so on september 19th president biden announced that the pandemic is over and you know thankfully there's a lot of quality internet research you can do now and so i started looking to see where where are we at with respect to new hospitalizations with COVID as the diagnosis literally then. So I looked for the weekend of September 20th in the United States, we had just under 29,000 new hospitalizations with COVID as the diagnosis. This is literally the same week the president announced that the the pandemic is over. So that number is meaningless unless you frame it in terms of other countries. So I picked six other countries who are also developed. Their population is 12 million more than the United States. And in that same week, they had 17,000 less hospitalizations. So then you go out two to three weeks and you see, okay, well, what happened to those people? And on October 5th, there was 1,085 murders with COVID as the diagnosis. So yes, it's still going on. And to add even more fuel to that fire, 
on October 13th, which was the one-year anniversary of Grace's murder, they re-upped the public health emergency. And by re-upping the public health emergency related to COVID, it kept the bonus payments going to hospitals to follow NIH protocols that kill people. Uh, so, in, and on top of the bonus payments, it kept the PrEP Act immunity in play. So, you know, this this idea is, is so, um, is so big, but people think, you know, we're back to normal, blah, blah, blah. Well, we're not back to normal at all. And I, Frank, if you allow me, I'd like to frame it in even a bigger picture if I can right now. Uh, pl please do so. And in that picture, if you can please um, uh, put uh, put in there what classifies, um, especially since you're the one doing the work on this and it's 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 a big part of, of your, your continuing research and, and, and activism, what classifies as a murder? Like what boxes need to be checked for you to say the murder? Yeah, we have the, we have the announcement of the diagnosis, the diagnoses and the hospitalizations, but what classifies as a hospital murder? Yeah, that's a fantastic question. I mean, I have gotten to the point that I would tell you that if they're using remdesivir or ventilators, it's a murder. And I'm going to frame that in a big picture right now. So the United States has 1.1 million COVID hospital deaths. So that number, again, is meaningless unless you frame it into a bigger picture. So we are number one in the entire world. We only have 4.3% of the world's population, yet we're number one. So who's number two? Well, number two is India. India has four times the population of the United States, and their footprint on the planet is only one-third. So four times the population and one-third the space, yet their COVID hospital death toll is just over a half a million, so less than half of the United States. So what is the reason? The reason is we are the only country that's using remdesivir, which has a 75% kill rate, three doses and more, and ventilators, which have a 90% kill rate. Mm. So when we're, and, and, the, and we're paying bonuses to the hospital to follow those protocols, 35 months into COVID, we're still doing this. So yes, that's why I'm calling them murders. Of course, I don't have the the proof other than the analytical proof that I just gave you. And if you dig further, you think, well, what are the what's the reason they do this? Well, they're justifying this in the spirit of collectivism. And so in in those, if you break down those deaths, the number one and number two causes of death in hospitals with COVID are elderly and disabled. Well, those are not comorbidities, but those two population groups, the elderly are on Medicare, the disabled are on Medicaid, they account for 39% of our federal budget annually, $2.2 trillion annually. So those population groups, the government has an incentive to take out to balance the budget. But of course, as you and I both know, it has really nothing to do with budget because they can print as much money as they want. It has to do with this crazy uh, sustainability agenda for the planet with climate control and population control. And that's really what we've got to wake up to and pay attention to. It's 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 scary, too, because I, I yeah, it, the only thing that you can really come down to or that I, I can really conclude in a, in a bigger, broader sense, when you take all the factors, the hospital stays, the, the, uh, the outside of the hospital, uh, everybody running to CVS or, or, or Walgreens to get a shot every couple of months now, um, the, the suppression of information is the scariest 
the scariest thing, and it has affected people no matter what their so-called political persuasions and affiliations are. Uh, a lot of people are running out. They still get this stuff, and and as far as the injuries, the deaths outside of the hospital, uh, especially the deaths that have been happening all over the place with young people, heart attacks, um, heart and brain inflammation, autoimmune situation, it, it's it's incredible. It's incredible, and and in the years to come, we still don't know. Uh, we already have a um, we already have a reproduction problem. God knows, right. God knows what what's gonna what's gonna happen going forward when people want to start start families in the next generation or so. Um, it, it's uh, like you said, it's huge, and it, and it plays into a global agenda, no doubt. It's it's hard to it's hard to grasp how they have been able to get the propaganda machine going on every single aspect. You know, so people are dying of the jab. It's so obvious they're having complications of the jab, but the the they normalize this stuff. You know, so one of the one of the guys that I work with, his kids still go to public school. Actually, they're in a private school, but in the private school, they sent out a flyer that said that you know if one of your classmates develops it, it has a heart attack here's the procedure so i mean they're normalizing this through that type of subtle propaganda because when is it normal that somebody in sixth grade has a heart attack that doesn't make any sense but they this propaganda machine has got this country in in um in really in a world of hurt but you know it's not just the propaganda machine this is a world without god yes Yes, it is. We talk about that a lot, um, how we ended our last show, you and I, your first time on. It was very profound in that way, too, where there is a, a spiritual component here that cannot be that cannot be ignored because I think that we were only set up for this kind of a reality because that, that, that spiritual life was burned out of us first. It had to be to, to really lay the groundwork for what this is. And now, I mean, earlier in this show... Uh, I was digging up a lot. Of, I, dig, I dug up a, a really nice article that put into perspective other articles that we had read in the past where these so-called bioethicists or ethicists, they come forward and they, they talk about the ethics of what should be done in society to bring about new progressive change. And in these particular um, articles, some of them sponsored by the World Economic Forum and these big-time transhumanist movers and shakers, they're talking about morality pills, but not morality of what, you know, the... Um, the, the balancing of you know good and the bad in life and 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 whatnot, but it's more so talking about the, the the morality of being a docile part of the herd and not letting your individuality get in the way, your conscience get in the way of anything. To the point where th they they consider and muse out loud: should we put um, should we put some kind of sedating substances? covertly into water supplies and this and that so people go out and put their masks on even though we know that the social distancing has only hurt and never helped they don't care about that they don't care about much of anything scott well they're brazen about these type of claims now this used to be all hidden but now it's out there and you know i personally have come to the conclusion which is a whole nother topic but i'll just touch on it here that uh, this satanic evil agenda has to come to light in order for Satan to masquerade as an angel of light and then provide a security and comfort solution. And, you know, God says this is going to happen, that Satan will masquerade as an angel of light. And he says that the 
the false prophet system and false Christs are going to be um, so deceptive that even the elect would be deceived. So, I mean, this is this is what I would expect to have happen. I mean, this exposure of evil is ends up uh, bringing in Satan's light side, and uh, it's it's going to get even worse. Yeah, I want to drill down something just so people think, okay, is this really true, this murder? Because this is really important, Frank, if I can go on on this topic. Please. There's, you know, Grace's story has gone international. And so people are contacting us. And this this lady, um, the anniversary of her Down syndrome daughter's death is two days from now. So pray for her. I mean, she's really having a hard time. I mean, I know what it's like to go through the one-year anniversary. Anyway, she got a hold of us. Her Down syndrome daughter was murdered. And they did it with uh, lethal injection meds. And so lethal injection meds. So with Grace, they used end-of-life meds like they do in hospice care when it's your last day of life. They used uh, Presidex, lorazepam, morphine. In this young lady's case, so this this lady's Down syndrome daughter, they used death row meds. And I'm going to frame this because she sent me some information. I dug into it. And there's an article that's written by an MD. His name is Joel Zivet. It was written in August of 2014. The title is The White Coat of Bail for State Killing. Well, I could use that as a title for a lot of the speeches I give because that's what's going on, right? The white coat is a veil for state killing. That's what we're witnessing. Anyway, this was written in August of 2014. And what he did in that article is he had gone to a state prison facility that uh, executed by the lethal injection. And he wrote an article about it. Well, he learned quite a bit from that article because on August, or not August, April 6th of 2020, now we're just a couple months into COVID. He headed up a letter, and he was the first signer and and, uh, had a number of other doctors that wrote to all the state prison facilities in the United States that end lives by lethal injection requesting those meds. The news got a hold of it on April 14th, and I'll just read what they said. They said that doctors across the nation have written an open letter, that's the April 6th letter, to all states that allow the death penalty, asking them to donate certain lethal injection drugs that are needed to treat coronavirus patients. Those drugs include fentanyl, bedazolam, and verconium bromide. Well, now this lady who lost her daughter sent me the details of her billing records. And her second to last day, they gave her midazolam, fentanyl, and verconium bromide, the exact drugs they use to kill people on death row. Jeez. I mean, it's so sick. Uh, I sent that to you if you want to include it in the show notes, you're welcome. But it's so sick to see something like that happen. This lady also had a DNR put on her against her the parents permission same as grace but on top of that they used a ventilator and remdesivir with her i estimated the hospital banked seven hundred fifty thousand dollars on on this situation just to bring her in to kill her so i mean i'm not joking around when i say this and you know i i know you want to cover the hospital rescue that that we just got done with and because I think it's important for people to see what is really happening. So if you have a question about that, we can talk about that now. Otherwise, we can go into the hospital rescue. No, I definitely want to get to the hospital rescue, but what you're talking about is so important and we mention it enough, but it's it's not one of those things where, okay, this is not something that you could become a broken record on because it is a global 
uh, mindset, at least a global mindset uh, for those who are trying to maintain and expand the control they already have. And it's not, and it's not even just for on the COVID end of things. I'm sure you saw in in the past couple of years we have been uh, expanding on coverage of Canada's euthanasia programs out there. It's called the uh, the Medical Assisted in Dying Program, MAID, M-A-I-D. And it started out with terminal terminally ill people. They can they can be uh, they can uh, be given assistance in in uh, in euthanasia and and uh, putting themselves out of their misery if they have ALS or whatever. And then it started expanding out to where it's not terminal but just chronic illnesses. Then they start allowing people uh, offering people the ability to kill themselves if they just have financial difficulty in paying for whatever the hell they have. This past week, Scott. You had to have seen it. A Canadian's Veterans Affairs office they offered uh, they offered assist uh, this um, this Paralympian a veteran. She's not dying, but she was she was asking for assistance in putting a wheelchair lift inside of her home, and they offered her instead euthanasia. They said over he said I have she said I have a letter saying that if you're so desperate, madam, we can offer you maid. Uh, uh, medical assisted in dying. Th- this is what's going on in, in supposedly westernized progressive countries like Canada. So uh, it, it goes beyond COVID. I think it is an anti-human mindset on all things that is just digging its talons into 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 everyday life. It's it's sick. Well, I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, this uh, we we're still disguising it in the United States, and uh, we just received an email. Uh, earlier this week, dated December 5th, so two days ago, from um, the Department of Professional Services. This is the organization that regulates doctors in the state of Wisconsin. And we had submitted a complaint to them and they did a sham investigation, said the doctor did no wrong. Well, there was an investigative reporter that dug into this and he, he, he really got his teeth into it. And they wrote him and said they did a re-review of the investigation. And they concluded that the, the Wisconsin law for doctors allows them to do a unilateral oral DNR upon their professional opinion. So just think through what that means. If that is true, that means anybody that goes into the hospital, I mean, you had better be sleeping with one eye open. And it is not a joke. I mean, the single, you know, people always ask me, what is the one thing that that you'd like to have people take away? Well, of course, I want them to take away that that Christ died, was buried, and rose again on the third day, that so whoever believes in him has eternal life. That's the big takeaway. But you can't even get there if you're not alive. And so to stay alive, you have to change your belief. You, If you still believe that hospitals are a safe zone, you are a fool. And if you want to keep being a fool, that's your prerogative. But you've got to change your belief. And that's why I can't tell this story enough. And, you know, this this story I'm going to tell you about this hospital rescue, this just happened. I mean, we saved this guy's life on November 5th. So it was just a month ago. So on November 3rd, his sister got a hold of me. I didn't know his sister's name is Heather. The man we saved, his name is Robert. I didn't know either one of them. But we have 17 billboards up in our area. Um they ended up uh, knowing a friend of a friend 
that friend texted me and said, will you talk with Heather? I said, of course I will. So we ended up talking on Thursday afternoon, the 3rd of November. And she says, well, my brother just went to the hospital. I said, what's the situation? Well, they said he's got COVID and he's he's got SMA. I said, well, what's SMA? I don't never heard of it. It stands for spinal muscular atrophy. She said he only weighs, he's 40, 44 years old. He only weighs 40 pounds. 40, wait, wait, wait. So his, 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 yes, his whole body's contorted. Uh, he, he had this basically at birth. I've spent some time with their family now. Even through the first nine months of his life, he was pretty normal, but he never could walk. And, you know, it just kept getting progressively worse. And he's very sharp, very intelligent, um, but he just, you know, he's disabled. Uh, anyway, I said to her and, you know, I said, Heather, I'm going to tell you something that you are not going to believe. In fact, you probably think I'm a whack job, but they are going to try to kill him. And she surprisingly believed me. And so I said, well, and then she said, well, what do I do? I said, you got to be an advocate there to save his life. You're not an advocate there to hold his hand or make sure he's not lonely. He, and she said, well, my mom is the full-time caregiver. She's there now. I said, what's her personality? Well, she's she really just tries to get along with everybody. I said, that's not gonna work as an advocate. Mm. So she agreed, she agreed, I can do it, Scott. Okay, great. So she said, what do I do? I said, make sure the hospital uh, knows no remdesivir and no ventilator. They had already done the COVID test, so it was too late for that. She texted me Friday after I was in bed. It was about 11 o'clock. She sent me a text. Scott, they already gave him remdesivir. So I get up Saturday morning. I text her right away. I get it. And she's, so I said, Heather, this is an emergency. Get a hold of her. I talked with, you know, I met a lot of people, Frank, in this process, a lot of them. And I'm going to share what actually happened here. So I got a hold of, I've never done a hospital rescue, but my sense was I'm going to be going to the hospital in the next hour to save this man. So I got a hold of Nicole from Truth for Health Foundation, Greta from Protocol Kills, and Laura Bartlett, who does hospital res rescues. And all of them coached me. Um, and then I got a hold of Heather. She says, can you give me some information on remdesivir? I sent her that. She showed it to her brother. And and so then she's telling me he already got three doses. Remember three. what I told you? Three doses is a 75% kill rate. Jeez. Three, do so three then, doses in what? Uh, in a day? Like how, how often do they give these doses? Once a day. So it's a five-day regimen. Jeez. Yeah, when you hear what the doctor said to this man, you're going to be blown away. So I, so she calls me back. She said, Robert wants you to come, Scott. I said, I'll be there in a half hour. So I get into the hospital. I I, talk, I was talking with doc, or Laura Bartlett while I was driving. She said, Scott, you got to get this, this directives form uh, signed by the patient or the power of attorney and give it to the doctor. You have to do that. I said, I'm driving to the hospital right now. Are you meaning that she's emailed it to me while I'm driving? You mean I've got to stop, get it printed? She said, yes. So I swing into, I, you know, I have an iPhone. I said, Siri, find a copy and print it near me. I swing into a strip mall. The place was bankrupt. They already gone on business. So I, there's a credit union next door. I just walk in. I went into one of the officer's offices. I said, I've got an emergency. Will you print this document if I email it to you? She agreed. So I'm back on the road to the hospital. I got there about five after nine on Saturday morning, the 5th. You cannot be prepared to see a 40-pound man. Yeah. 
he's he's breathing he's having a hard time making it he's wheezing i i knelt down next to him i gave him a hug i prayed with him and he looked me in the eye and said scott please don't leave me i said robert i will not leave you and so the next step then we walked through the directives form that Laura Bartlett sent sent me via email, which I sent that to you too. You can put it in the show notes because this is important. This document is critical if you're going to do a hospital rescue. So we walk through that. He agrees to each thing. Basically, it says you know no remdesivir, no vaccine, no ventilator, um, and if you won't do the proactive protocols, you agree to release the patients. You know ivermectin, etc. So now we get into more of the people I've met. So now we we're, we're at that point. I text. Dr. Peter McCullough, he had given me his, I had met him in June, we spoke at an event together, he had given me a cell phone, I text him, he said, I can't, can't deal with it today, Scott, text Paul Merrick. I, and I had Paul Merrick's home number, but not his, his uh, cell, so I said, um, Dr. McCullough, I don't have his cell, he texted to me. Now, Paul Merrick called the hospital room five minutes later. These are the real stars here, you can't wow. make that up, right? No, no, that's amazing. He calls, and so I'm telling him, uh, Paul, we've got this situation. I told him we've already got three doses of remdesivir. It looks to me like the dose is double the dose based on his body weight. And he says, okay, you want to do this with ivermectin, get him on budesonide, NAC, you know, vitamin C, vitamin D, you know, right down the list, bam, bam, bam. So I called my wife and I said, Cindy, her name is Cindy, bring my NAC and bring my ivermectin, my vitamin D, vitamin C, bring it in because we don't know what the hospital is going to allow. She said, how can I get in there? And it was not like when Grace was in the hospital where it was all locked down. We just had freedom to go. So I said, just bring it in. You can come right in. And so we got broke apart my capsules, got them to the right weight. Uh, Robert is only fed through a feeding tube in his stomach because he has a hard time swallowing with his, with his disability. Um, then we have a meeting with the doctor and give him this form and tell him, you know, by the way, he comes in in like a space suit. He's got a beard. And so he has this contraption that's wrapped around his beard all the way, face shield, mask, you know, yeah, I had nothing on, you know, I wanted to, you know, I, I don't believe in it to start with, but you've got to give the patient some confidence, you know, the doctor actors in the spacesuit because he's making it sound like it's fear to the patient, yep. right? Yep. Now remember, this was just a month ago. People think COVID is over. It's not over. Um, and so now we give this form to the doctor. He won't even take it out. Well, wait, Scott, hands. Scott, I hate to interrupt, but you, you said you said that he was um, most of his nutrition was going through a tube. Uh, what did you do with all of the the pro the protocols from home that you had brought in? How did you make that able for him to ingest that? The family, I mean, they're used to feeding him that way. So they had a big syringe with a tube that's hooked up. You know, it's a permanent stomach tube, basically. Okay, okay. And we broke everything down, mixed it in with the, the food that he usually has, the liquid food, and then they injected it. Got you. Okay. Um, so now the doctor, he rejected everything that we said that we wanted, the ivermectin and everything, but we were prepared, fortunately. But he did order the budesonide, which was fantastic. So now we... We get the first budesonide treatment. Actually, in between, you can't make this up. About 11.45, the nurse came in to give him a, a COVID flu shot. 
And so we told her, we just stopped all of this stuff. They were going to give that to him because, you know, he's he's behind on his well care. I mean, it's insane. So we didn't let him do that. We, we got him set up. He starts... Um, we give him the ivermectin. He gets the first budesonide treatment. Well, he's starting to feel good. You could visibly see him turn around. Where he was near death, he starts turning around. At this point, I didn't know for sure he was going to make it. And he told me the story with the doctor. He said, Scott, the doctor told me you have COVID, but the good news is we have an antiviral and you'll be uh, feeling great in three days. Most of my patients are well in two days and that antiviral is remdesivir. So we we audio recorded him. And the reason I did is because I thought the family is going to want this in case he doesn't make it. This doctor directly lied to him. So now we get the uh, first budesonide treatment, he's turning around, he's starting to get my sense of humor. You know, we start joking even, it was, it, it was great. So now I said, Robert, it was about three o'clock in the afternoon. I said, I think we should get you out of here. And he wisely said, I think I should get a second budesonide treatment because what if the doctor won't prescribe the things that I need when I leave? And so we did that. We waited till seven o'clock, got the second budesonide treatment. Um, then we announced that we're leaving. Oh, that created quite a fiasco. Wow. The doctor would not even come in the room. He sent a, a head nurse um, and he said, you can't leave. You've got to stay overnight for observation yet. But he wouldn't even evaluate it. So, well, we're not doing that. Then you've got to sign this against medical advice form. Well, I got a hold of Nicole from Truth for Health Foundation. She said, you don't have to sign that. And so <clears throat> we're ready to go. But he still got these IVs in his arms that we need to get out. You know, they refused to treat him at this point. But there was a shift change. There was a nurse from the Philippines who was the nurse now that was on after the shift change. And so we asked if she would take them out. She did. So now we're, we got everything packed up. We're ready to go. And I thought, you know what? I've got a chance to share something that's on my heart. So I said, before we leave, I just want to ask you, um, how can you participate in this? I said, you know they were going to kill him with remdesivir. There's no way you can't know that. Not at this point. And, right. And so she, I said, you don't have to acknowledge it. I understand. Um, but I just want to know how can, how can you even participate in this? And she said, I, you know, humbly, she said, I'm on a visa from the Philippines. And if I don't do what they say, they'll ship me, they'll ship me back. Jeez. Jeez. So we get him, we get him out. Um, now he's, I had bought an oxygen generator when I had COVID and I had lent it to a doctor friend of mine. I called her, she, she still had it. And so she left it out on her porch for me. Um, my wife went home and got a nebulizer. And so then we met at, at Robert's house, we got him all set up. And then, uh, my wife worked with, with his sister on a detox program and, you know, he, he's doing fantastic now. I. And and that is the first. That, that's the first of what you've done. I know. Uh, you said that you you've gotten into this. Um, this uh, not only the, the research, the activism, uh, speaking out, doing the media circuits there, but you are also in the the business now of, or at least the mission now of doing of getting people prepared for hospital visits. So you you actually help them put together plans and their own advocacy if if they know they have to go in for a procedure or 
God forbid they always have something ready to go if they, you know, a compound fracture of a leg or whatever is going. They have to go to a hospital. That's the, that's the scary thing, uh, the scary situation we're all in. The older you get, the likelihood of you actually needing some of these facilities for one thing or another, it, it goes up. And as you said before, I don't have the same, no, nowhere near the same confidence I used to have knowing, okay, well, the greatest thing about being in America is that we have the best hospitals in the world. And over the last three years, confidence just shattered and it's scary as hell. Um, is, is this what you're doing now primarily, preparing people to go into these situations or, and it does, obviously that, that works into the hospital rescue aspect too. Well, I wouldn't say that's what I'm primarily doing. I don't, I'm not intelligent enough to, to do that, but um, I can tell you a couple things. So one is uh, I, I spoke at Red Pill Expo in, uh, in November and I brought up this story there and uh, several people in the audience asked me for the directives form. And so one, one man emailed me, I coached, so this wasn't the live one, this was all via email, him and I back and forth. And, and by that coaching, he was able to save his mother. So that was fantastic, another life saved. So Grace, Grace's death has not been in vain. But what I did just today, so I started my own podcast about a month ago, and I interviewed um, uh, Priscilla Romans, who started Grace Care today. So that will come out next week. And but you don't have to wait for that for it to come out. But she she lays out advocacy and she has a professional advocacy company that she started with 20, uh, 20 people. So they cover advocacy across the entire country. And it was just an outstanding interview I had with her today. And and I want everybody to watch that. You know, you've got to be your own advocate. And so I just did this yesterday for myself, my own advocacy. I don't have any health problems right now, but there's some um, doctors locally who have gotten out of the system and started their own. And I thought, well, I'm gonna go in as a new patient because I need to establish a relationship before something bad happens. So I did that yesterday. That wouldn't be something I would ever do, yeah. but I would encourage everybody to do that. You've gotta be your own advocate, but then get a relationship with somebody who's not in the system. So this professional advocacy group, probably 75% plus of their business is advocating before you get to the hospital. When you get to the hospital, it's pretty late in the game. And so they're well connected and you know we need that in today's world. You know, these, these um, doctors and nurses who work for these big hospital systems, they're all bought. Uh, Scott, it's so much important work that you do, and the information. I know people are going to be asking for this information, and I'll go into our emails and, and and extract all the stuff, the forms and whatnot. But for people to just want to find everything in one place, is ouramazinggrace.net the place to find the podcast and all of the advocacy forms and all the information you're talking about tonight? Yeah, we have everything everything in one place there. I mean, it isn't literally in one place, but it's on one website. So we have a resource tab. We have the podcast name is Deprogramming with Grace's Dad. Um, and, you know, there's a whole bunch of other things. What The main thing that I want people to do if they go to the website, of course, is get to know my daughter, Grace. And, yes, and, absolutely. You know, that, that's that's by far and away the biggest the biggest opportunity. And then, of course, you know, everybody always wants to know how they can help. And, you know, last time I was on your show, your audience did such a phenomenal job, but I wanna tell you this time, I, I don't want one penny donated to us. What I want instead is think through what's going on. If 10,000 people are watching this right now, 
every one of those people has at least 100 contacts. So if you share that with 100 contacts, that means we're going to have 1 million. So that's how we got to get this message out because if we can't save lives, what, you know, it's, we got to save lives here, Frank. That's yeah. the whole goal. And I, and you've done so such amazing work in, in that respect. And yeah, the, the, there was such a wonderful outpouring after the last time you were on, it was such an honor to learn about grace and it's an honor to talk to you too, Scott. I, uh, you, there's a lot of, uh, I don't know. You just, you, you're a very, very kind man. And I hope you keep me in your prayers. You sound like a, a man that, uh, it would be good to have praying for you. So, um, thank you for, for coming here tonight. And I'd love to have you back on again to do these little updates along the way. Your hos- hospital rescue story is, is incredible. It's uplifting, and I hope that everybody goes to ouramazinggrace.net to 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 see all of your collective work. And uh, if there's anything, if there's not anything, if you want anything else you want to say, go right ahead. If not, uh, just thank you again, and I, I look forward to the next time. Thanks a lot, Frank. It was really it's a blessing to be on your program. You're fantastic. Well, Merry Christmas. Hey, same to you. Okay, take care. Thank you so much. Scott Shara, everybody. Go, 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 go. Check out OurAmazingGrace.net. It's, um, I mean, that, that call speaks for itself. That's it's certainly a man who is in, is inspired and is being uh, being driven by something good and, and, and right. So um, thank you, everybody, for the time here. It's almost nine o'clock. Let me make sure I got everything in the in the super chats. I think I did. Oh, here you go. This is from uh, this is from Albert Frederick. Oh, this is from fifty minutes ago. This is from almost an hour ago. I agree with you, Frank. It's all been done on purpose, and those with eyes to see and ears to hear and heard their way th- uh, and um, and heard their way through it. Some also did hear and see, but they had no other choice and threw them uh, and threw themselves onto the fire for family. Yeah, well, I mean that story about the nurse from the Philippines is ah to think about how many people have are compromised like that and have to live with that inner struggle. It's uh, it's it's rough. It's really rough to even consider that. Um. Let me see. Anything else? Anything else here? Anything else? No, we're good to go. I appreciate you all. Tomorrow's another day. It, tomorrow is Thursday. I think we might have Stephen Jonathan Rummelsberg on at some point to, tomorrow, maybe another second half guest. We're going to be talking about the Jesse tree tradition for Christmas and uh, and who knows what else. Great time. The last time we had Stephen John, Jonathan uh, Rummelsberg on, we were talking about uh, I think fairy tales and storytelling. He's a he's a wonderful educator, and I, I can't wait to do that with him. Yeah, I know. I booked a couple of last minute guests. I had nobody on, and then all of a sudden we have this wonderful show with Scott Shara today. We'll have another great show tomorrow. Then we're gonna finish it all off on Friday with Sam Tripoli, um, and we're just getting closer and closer and deeper into the Christmas season. So I'm I'm happy to be here with you all, and I would. Um, I would love for you to share this show just as much as you are going to go out and share uh, OurAmazingGrace.net and become a sponsor as well for as little as a, a dollar a month, whatever is good for you, anything that you can sustain. Follow me into the new year, ladies and gentlemen. We have bigger and bigger things to do, and I want to throw more on my back, and I just want to muscle through, and, and I, I thank you all for making it possible for me to dedicate the time and bring on people who can make some dreams come true 
So thank you. Uh, another good one. And tomorrow we hit the skids again. So don't miss it. Bye-bye. I'll catch you on the flip side. Quite frankly, is film before a live studio audience. And now our super chatter, starting with Albert Frederick, Sean Haug, American Girl 3. Thank you so much to PDR111 and all of our wonderful, wonderful people over there on Foxhole on QuiteFrankly.tv, which I invite you all over there. QuiteFrankly.tv, Rabbit Hole Wednesdays is about to get started off into the late night and to the early morning, no matter what your time zone is. So uh, it doesn't have to end now, ladies and gents. I'll see you in that chat room and be good to each other. Good night.